0: Hello, and welcome back to the Shadow Work Library. My name is Jessica DiPazzi, and for the next at least 39 shows, I'm going to take you through this series that covers the spectrum of negative patterns in the human experience and how we can understand them and transmute them with Shadow Work. Sorry, my nose is a little stuffed up right now. (sighs) Okay, so if you're hearing my voice right now, (laughs) You're in podcast land and I'm so happy you found me here, but if you'd like to take a look at my new YouTube channel, I think you'll really enjoy that version too. You can find that link at the very top of the show notes. All right, enjoy this show on the very delightful shadow of deafness. Okay, deafness, so uh, I just wanna dive right into it. I wanna start this off with what we get when we play nice with this shadow. And what we get is something called insights. And insights are like, man, they feel good, right? Insights are those flashes of knowing that kick you out of a rut or worrying or cyclical thinking. Insights are everything for a seeker. It's everything who, for someone who finds it important to stay on their path, it's everything for the creative rebel who wants to do life their own way. Now. Um, I guess I should also say here, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review. I started this podcast in 2019 and have since moved to YouTube. So if you're enjoying the show and you've been on the podcast version for a while, come check out the studio. I'm actually moving again. I say that every episode, like I will always have a new background, but um, I'm hoping I can take all of this with me. I'm going to downsize a little bit because this place is just too far out from downtown and from the water and it's just like a little bigger than I need it to be. So going to hopefully move into a house and make the cats an outdoor a situation. Sorry. I'm just getting into my to-do list here. Anyway, if you're liking the show, please like, and subscribe. (laughs) Okay. So it's apt for me, I think to end this year with the shadow of deafness, because all I wanted for so much of this year was to have a freaking insight. Like that felt important. A big one, a sign from God, Jessica, you're on the right track. Because I lived in this realm of unknowns for so much of 2023. I didn't know if I'd find my creative mojo again. I didn't know if I'd find love again. I didn't know if I would find meaningful friendships here. And I wasn't even really sure what I wanted to do for a living, which feels funny to say at 36, right? Like I'm still figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) I think you get it. And all of that, especially feeling like I had lost my entrepreneurial spirit, which I'd really identified with, that had me feeling like i didn't know who i was anymore and I, I hesitate to say anymore as if i really know who i was in the first place but you know somehow i had managed to choose to cut away all of the parts of my identity that gave me something de- definable to associate with so for a little while there which felt like a long while i was floating around in my body as if i was experiencing someone else's life This was practically an entire year of no long-term plans, not knowing what I'd do that day. And look, I know how this might sound. I know that this is absolutely a privilege. So many people here work 55 hours a week and I'm here complaining because I have too much time on my hands. I I get how that sounds, but I want you to stick stick with this with me. Um, It started to feel like hell because I didn't know what to do with it. All I wanted, even just a few years ago, was to have this time and space because I thought that my obligations were my restraints to my creativity. They were the restraints to my spiritual connectedness, my fulfillment. But I've come to realize that wasn't it this year. I've had hundreds of hours of nothingness. And yeah, that wasn't it. So to know that I was actually the thing standing in my own way, I was like, man, it's a real kick in the nuts. (laughs) Now, that might sound like just good old depression to some, but we can't be calling everything depression now, can we? For me, this was a real lesson in the shadow of deafness. So in the 43rd Gene Key, Richard Rudd says that deafness is the inability to hear what's going on inside of you, and we are replacing our inner voice with noise and worry. Because really, it's natural for the human mind to be so uncomfortable with all of the uncertainties of life. The universe periodically goes through these unexpected fluctuations. And as an aspect of the universe, we're also subject to these fluctuations and we can call them our moods. So at the shadow frequency of deafness, we, and I can relate to this, don't want to accept that we can't control our inner workings and our moods. So we spend our lives trying to create the illusion of stability and security, which doesn't actually offer us the ability to be concerned even with how we really feel because we're in this survival mode. So yeah, this is a real pickle because deafness is attached to the way that we feel. And so to feel better, we go on a search for happiness. But it's interesting because what we what we call happiness, we have found through the sciences is really a chemical thing. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. And a lot of the time we don't feel happy because we spend so much time looking for it. And we spend our time Trying to create it in the future, postponing our presence for a time when we'll be happy when XYZ happens. Or we induce happiness with drugs or alcohol or people, right? Which is fine, but it's sidestepping what wants to be felt. So when I started to embark on my own, like I guess we can call it a deafness spiral, I latched on to the idea that more financial security would lead to an inner security. And that made a lot of sense for me, right? But in doing that, I created a lot of noise for myself. I had several half-ass attempts at new projects, but you wouldn't have seen any of that because I've done this work long enough, thank God, to know that that's just something that I do temporarily to make myself feel better, to feel less scared. So I didn't actually want any of those to see the light of day with that vibe. Um, And this noise, by the way, is the reactive or the outward expression of deafness. It's this unconscious trying to deafen ourselves so we don't have to hear the way that we really feel, which is kind of a miserable feeling. And it also has attached to it a need to be understood by others. And because when we're not really listening in this state, we can feel rejected and misunderstood and hence a bitter and angry. And I have to admit, I was starting to become a little bitter pants, which is like very new for me. I'm not usually bitter. And because this was a holistic shadow for me, I also had the opportunity to explore the repressive manifestation of deafness, which is worrying. I worried more this year than I ever have. And that's not to say I was a better person um, or better version of myself back when I didn't worry. You know, these shadows show up for us at the right time in the right place, despite it looking like a regression. So, this worrying was like, you know, me thinking in circles. What does it say about me that I have all of this time, the right skills and talent, the most wonderful friends, and still I feel like I'm in this endless limbo? Maybe I'm dreaming too big. Maybe my expectations of life are unreasonable. All these thoughts, right? Like maybe what I want isn't really possible. Maybe I should fill in the blank with whatever's unremarkable thing that felt like the thing at the time. You know, worrying is also this miserable feeling, just like the noise we can create for ourselves because it's an internal noise that's based on our minds going round and round in circles, trying to figure out how to escape itself, how to escape worry, and it pressures us into all kinds of activities that are going to try to relieve the pressure of worry. So yeah, this was a really fun phase. <laughs> now on the collective level, what is the purpose of nef- deafness? Why does it even exist? Um, just like I have been conditioned, modern society is also locked into trying to create external security, right? So to deal with that, we've created all these systems in tech that makes life so efficient, which on the surface looks great. But when we get to the point where I did, where I had all the time, enough resources, and all the external things that would seem like I should be able to just enjoy myself, were then confronted with the realization that nothing external can buy us happiness. It's like all of the shadows. It's a driving force of evolution to help us get it to this point where we realize that true happiness is is uncaused. So this is all part of it. Now for you and I on an individual level, deafness has the same evolutionary force. Because when we're in the shadow state, we're only really interested in taking away our own uncertainties, we then go on these loops to find the perfect partner, to find the perfect job, the perfect lifestyle, the perfect whatever, so that we can relax and then feel good about ourselves until we either wake up amidst the desperation or we exhaust ourselves to the point of this realization hopefully while we still have some life left in us. When in reality, all we really need to do is listen and calm the noise inside of our heads. That reality of that listening, which I found, is that nothing is sure. No matter how much money I make or how remarkable my lifestyle actually looks, my body always brought me back to that truth. There are always gonna be times where we don't feel comfortable in the world. We're animals. We're rebellious animals, but we're still creatures of this fluctuating universe. So in a way, that might seem like a bummer, but if you're tracking with me on this, it's actually a calming truth to know that discomfort is an inherent part of the human experience. Because if you're a human like me, you've got some shit going on. To varying degrees, of course, but pain is pain, and it only becomes a problem when it's a problem. And for me, it became a problem... Because I have this story of needing to have it all figured out, running in the background of my consciousness. If you've listened to the show before, you know this is a thing for me. I talk about it often because I'm like actively working on it. But I'm the person that's solid and that fixes problems. That's how I told myself that I'm deemed valuable in this world. That's how I was shown that for a while, but I tell myself that now. So I when I tried to control my mood of messiness, this high energy unpleasantness inside me, it started to fester into shame. And it started to feel like I didn't have anything figured out and it started to feel like I wasn't valuable. So I recently discovered a lot of these gaps in my ability to love myself. And again, it was like, oh, ouchie. So this is going to lighten up in a big way. I mean, it has to, um, there's no shadow that doesn't have a really killer gift that rewards you if you know how to work with it. And this gift is that gift of insight. Now it kind of makes me laugh because it's a curious game we found ourselves in. We deafen ourselves because we're uncomfortable with how we feel and the way things are going, so we worry ourselves in circles or we create all this busy work to try to force some kind of quantum leap in our experience to be better, for everything to be better. All we want is true aligned change, but deafness denies us that change because the only way to experience insight is unexpectedly. We have to give up looking for it just like it's creating poetry or creating art, the more we try, the harder it becomes. But just because it has to happen in its own way and its own time doesn't mean, actually we don't have any responsibilities to cultivate an inner state where insights can be birthed. So you can't force insight to happen, but you can create the fertile ground for it to emerge from. Okay, so get ready. We're about to have the mashup of a century to explain this. I had the the opportunity to interview the great John Ravakey, who's an award-winning lecturer on wisdom studies, and he works out of the University of Toronto uh, for our documentary, Dark Night of Our Soul. He studies people who are wise, and he makes science out of that. I think I'm using that word right. <laughs> so one of the things John is known for is his Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series on YouTube. It'll melt your brain um, and still definitely worth the watch. I'm sure I've talked about this before. And one of the episodes in particular that I became obsessed with was on Insight. And if you don't know what I do here on the show, I basically take a gene key from Richard Rudd's work and I find other amazing humans who can help me dive deeper into the subtext. And then I put it all together for myself and for other people like me who want to get geeky on it. So when I was contemplating this 43rd gene key, the shadow of deafness and the gift of insight, the city of, of, uh, epiphany, (laughs) because I really, really, really wanted an insight and hadn't had a meaningful one in what seemed like a very long time. I was like, Oh my God, John Vervecki's work will look so sexy next to Rudd's. And if you've ever seen that's that it's always sunny in Philadelphia meme of Charlie with The mapping out of the conspiracy theories like that was totally me it was a whole situation okay so why exactly does deafness keep us from having insights and how do we even have insights and what is an insight you know so many good questions we need to answer here Uh, first let's start by defining insights there's a Japanese word for insight called satori which implies a sudden breakthrough from from within a sudden flash of enlightenment when you get an insight it's like this aha moment a flash of knowing where all these bits of information come together in an instant. You know, I used to explain this to my marketing clients way back in the day that what we're doing when or what we're looking to do when we have a really effective and empowering sales and marketing practice is to help someone come across this aha moment for themselves. We, where we want to bring in different bits of information together in a way where they're like, Oh yeah, that, that's what I've been thinking kind of, but I didn't really know how to say it or I didn't know how to put it like that. It's putting something together that they vaguely already know and crafting it in a way where they now feel smarter on the other side of it because of what you said or presented there. Another example would be if any of you are trainers or go to the gym, you do some form of weightlifting that requires technique like Oli lifting. You'll remember when you were new, practicing a certain technique with all the cues and at some point they all come together in this way that really made sense for you. And you're like, oh yeah, like I finally get it. That's another form of like a physical insight. Really good comedians also do this when they observe the absurdity of the world and all of its elements and then repackage them in a way that makes us laugh. You know, they make the absurd, the things that don't make sense to us or can be issues for us, and then they combine them with other things and then we have this kind of resolution. We have a burst of insight that comes off as laughter. So yeah, there are lots of different kinds of insights. In the book, Art of Contemplation, Red defines an insight as this spontaneous revelation about something that was previously hidden from our conscious understanding. Now, some people believe that insights can occur accidentally and then, you know, there's nothing we can do to generate them. Some people believe that these are experiences that are gifted to us by the grace of the gods. Both kind of seem like they could be true because we can't force insight to happen. But by understanding the basic psychological mechanics of insight, we should be able to understand how to make a conscious effort to generate them so that we can create certain conditions to maximize the possibility of having them. Now, Rudd's work and the work of the Jungians they talk quite a bit about the mysteries that are hidden within the human subconscious. So for example, um, when we're when we're young, we learn strategies for dealing with unexpected painful situations that naturally arise in life. and then these strategies get lodged in our subconscious minds. And these patterns that can then follow us into our relationships, our jobs, our lives in general, where these strategies that once used to save us now undermine us when we feel threatened or overwhelmed. And so it's like, we're forming these hardened opinions or frameworks about ourselves and others and the world in general. And those frameworks can have us stuck, right? So I feel like this would be a good time to get more specific because this can be a little bit confusing the stuff I'm about to get into. So if we have an ill-defined problem, like you just don't understand why your dating life or intimate relationships have just been like a little bit weird. there's like not right. There's a call here to disrupt your framing. And this is where John Verveke's work comes in. To gain insight, you need to disrupt the normal ways that you're finding patterns in the world. Because the way that we find patterns is really profound. So in this classic example of dating, we may be attracted to aspects of people who actually aren't good for our next evolution. Like there's nothing wrong with it Or them or these aspects, just the same things that work in the past, just aren't hitting anymore. And we don't really know what that is. And that's what we then try to do something that's called thinking outside of the box. Now if you've ever gotten that piece of advice before, or you've pulled the hangman tarot, you can know, or you know how frustrating that can be to hear. Yeah, clearly I need to think outside of the box, but what does that even mean? Like, How do I even go about doing that? Well, it basically combines these two moments, and these two moments are also the two moments of having an insight. And that's constraint relaxation, where we de-automatize our cognition, which means to not make your mind operate so unconsciously and automatically. We take stuff that's happening unconsciously and make it more conscious. And the other thing is uh, chunk decomposition, which means breaking up an inappropriate frame, the gestalt, into pieces. But that's not all. We also need to look at all of those pieces of that initial frame and then create a new frame, a new perspective, a new pattern to play with. So we have these two things that we need to become better at. And I want to dive into the first one here, Um, constraint relaxation, operating more consciously, de-automating our cognition. If we were to use this dating example, you can look at the object of your ill-defined problem. Maybe it's like the person, the person you last dated and see them, observe them. They're this tall. They have this kind of personality, this kind of status. This is the way that they go through life and you can notice all of these things. But what's also true is that you're looking at this person through your own lenses. Now Verveke has this metaphor that he's become quite known for, which explains the work of Michael Polanyi, Um, this transparency to opacity shift or opacity to transparency shift. I'm looking at the object while I'm also looking through my lenses. I wish I had some glasses here that would help. I'm not aware of my lenses because they're transparent to me. So I'm looking through them at the opacity of the object. But every once in a while, I'll take them off and become aware of my lenses, right? So what I find relevant in this example is that we're often so unaware of our metaphorical glasses, our frames that we have on life, and these frames are based on our personal pasts, what we've inherited and the collective unconscious, like a whole trillion other things that we can put too much focus on the thing we're looking at rather than how it's being worked by our framing that we're looking through. So this, co- this shift is constantly happening within us throughout the day where we're looking at the world and we're also sensing ourselves in the world, taking off our glasses and noticing them. And there are some practices that are going to help us flow between these two states more fluidly. And I'll get into that in a second, but we can see why this is important, right? <clears throat> The external and the internal are all a part of the attention model. And if we want to enhance our capacity to have insights, we need to find other things to pay attention to. We need to disrupt the things that we've been paying attention to to be able to see things differently. And the reason why we want to do that is to find new salient information, to find things that are important to us. So that's not all that's needed, right? There's another shift that happens at the same time from the gestalt to the features and back to the gestalt. this is one of his favorite words. I love watching him in our documentaries, like really hard to keep in focus. (laughs) So this is uh, chunk decomposition, which means to break up an inappropriate framing. So if we're looking at the dating example again, our uh, relationship experience is not going the way we like, it's weird or something, which by the way, this is hypothetical, this is not a secret insight into my life, I promise I'd tell you if it was. You'd wanna break that gestalt, your current frame into chunks, chunk decomposition. So what might this problem be made of? Well, maybe you're on dating apps and the culture of that game is just not aligning with your process. Maybe the people that you're choosing have poor boundaries or you have poor boundaries and so you're getting into situations that are just like too much too soon. Maybe you have unresolved traumas around past relationships which are preventing you from opening your heart, right? There's like lots of possibilities here. And when you have all of these pieces, you can then put them back together in different ways to see if the new frame or the new pattern makes sense. So the new frame or gestalt could be that you delete the apps. I don't know if I'm using the word gestalt right, I'm gonna stop saying that. The new frame is that you know you delete the apps and see what it's like to just go out in the wild and see what happens. Now this took me a while to understand admittedly all these shifts and these accesses I mean, I will admit I don't understand it completely because there's so many layers. But I wanted to share this bit with you because it does bring me back to how we can train ourselves to have greater capacity for insight without psychedelics, because I do want to touch on that in a sec. So this is where these two axes come together in a schema. And I'm going to show you on the screen now if you're and if you're listening to the podcast version, I'm going to put a timestamp link in the show notes so you can easily see this when you're not on the move. But if we're scaling up this graph towards towards the gestalt and do a transparency to opacity shift, we have contemplation. That's our contemplative practice, helps us train that. If we scale down this graph towards the features and do an opacity transparency shift, we have meditation. So this is why mindfulness practices actually work to cultivate more wisdom. By practicing meditation, we train ourselves in being aware of the lenses we're looking through and it helps us reduce our reactivity and relax our constraints. You know, we're reducing our propensity to see things we've always seen them. And by having a contemplative practice, we're able to then take those fragments of elements and repackage them into how they fit together in new ways and create a new way of looking at the thing and finding new patterns. So we should practice both. You know, this is how we create this fertile environment to have more of these spontaneous insights. Now, psychedelics can help us do this To an extent, very effectively, I just did a ketamine and cannabis ceremony, my first ketamine experience, by the way, with my good friend, Jillian Acosta, who led me through that ceremony. And I was having a cascade of insights. It was remarkable, which by the way, I'll link to her uh, Instagram and her website if you'd like to connect with her. She does these virtually also. So the question that becomes like, why not just do psychedelics to induce insight? I think if it's your time to go for that route and you're responsible, go with it. Like I'm a huge fan. The problem with just doing that though, is that we eventually go back to a normal state or what's considered normal. And a single insight, even a cascade of insights requires integration into our everyday lives. And that integration and the ability to continue to have insights really benefits from these mindfulness practices so that we continue to be on alignment. Right? That's why you can see people taking drugs and not changing. It just doesn't work like that. All right, so um, better contemplation, better meditation. How do we do that? If you want a great resource on contemplation, I'd suggest reading Art of, Adversity, sorry, Art of Contemplation by Richard Rudd, which I'll link to in the description. It's a short but super powerful read. And for meditation, there's like a jillion apps out there, but to start simply, I like the Triple Flame app. I think it's great and I use it daily. And I'll also link to that. Now, while there are these ways we can train ourselves to increase our capacity for insight to occur, one of the main conditions to maximize our chance of having insights is to dwell more in our unknowing. Richard Rudd calls this a pause and a true pause has no purpose. It's a gap in our day. And typically our habits like to try to fill this gap, fill it with music, email, TV, people. And when we fill the gaps, we miss these portals of pausing that come frequently in our day. So we have to embrace the pause at the stoplight, the moments between tasks, the transitions in our day, because insights demand an environment of mystery, which is uncomfortable, but we can get used to it. Insight is wild, right? Uh, Richard Rudd says that it isn't a neat garden without weeds. It's a wild jungle filled with wonder and unpredictability. And it's through this jungle of insights that the creative rebel is born. This is how we wake up to our true creative potential. And once you've tasted this flow, which Verveke says, actually the flow state is this cascade of insights, you know what it tastes like and you can start going off and chasing it, right? Creative blocks are this thing you've woken up creatively and did the thing. And then you start to deafen, which is totally natural. And then you start chasing that high of being in that waterfall. And it can be a really weird feeling, it can be really miserable at times. But if you can get back into the mindfulness practice and surrender to this process, it comes back even greater. And if you're really vibrating with your personal insights, it brings you about this flavor of rebellion. And this can be scary. A society caught in deafness is uncomfortable with the person that doesn't really fit neatly into the way things are done. Wise creative rebels threaten the efficient systems that the shadow has so carefully created for all of us. And though this rebellion is sacred, not because it directly serves society, but because the creative contribution of people who have really woken up to taking these risks, they help other people wake up to discovering this latent genius that's inside of them too. This kind of service role modeling, being so authentic comes back to the collective because it constantly shakes up a system and all systems need regular shaking up. Otherwise they become tyrannical. So when you're in this higher frequency of allowing insights to flow through you, you start to become deaf to the shoulds of society and trust in your inner voice, despite the consequences. I mean, take a look at any founder that's shaken up an industry. They did it wrong, right? They didn't follow the best practices. And that's probably not despite them knowing the right way to do it. The majority of the time they followed their own path. And corporate lingo might say that they're disruptors, whatever. I think that kind of sterilizes this process because there's being a disruptor and then there's being an artist. And you can be both, but true artists, true poets, true builders and creators and romantics and pirates, their secret ingredient is that they whisper great truths through their work. Anyone can experience their work and regardless of the medium and understand that something really good has happened here. So here's where I personally keep coming back to this paradox. That's tricky for me to work with. I'm interested in studying the cycle, psycho, the psychological mechanics of shadow work. There is a place for the mind here. The more we know, the more we can add to our psychotechnologies and operate more consciously, but it also seems to me like we're stuck between two worlds, the world of our minds and the world of energy our minds these days tend to take dominion over our souls because of the left brain world we live in, right? The systems that we're born into give us deadlines and bills to pay. And I've had an interesting time contemplating what it means to be human right now with all this time I have on my hands. Um, and up until recently had a very hard time understanding why this is all the way it is. Kitties, everybody relax. I'm podcasting. So while I experienced a lot of grief this year, it also gave me insights into deeper questions, ones I wasn't even looking for. Insights into the perfectness of where we are right now collectively. Okay, one second, I'm gonna pick up this battery because you guys are being annoyed. Why don't you come on camera? Come here. Come here. (laughs) You know, like you, I see the shit out there. I see the poverty, I see the warring. All of that is a lot and Why is it that we in the West are dealing with what's considered a mental health crisis now of all times? It could be due to social media and big pharma, whatever. Like I do have my thoughts on those things, but I'm really blaming those things less and less these days. If we look back not too long ago, our ancestors were fighting for survival. And with every fight, there was some kind of evolutionary push towards wholeness. And I'm not talking about good guys winning over bad guys. This is more about involution. Involution being defined as like where all things are predestined and there isn't actually individual free will since All events are playing themselves out according to a higher unraveling And I know that sounds a little bit determinist, but it kind of works in line with evolution What I mean by that is Evolution evokes aspiration towards something higher where involution invokes inspiration As something higher that already exists inside of us waiting to be discovered And this feels more real to me now. Um, like Every time I say mental health crisis, I'm like, no, there's something not quite right about that word. It's not a crisis. It's a calling. Again, deafness and its other shadow friends now have the space in a lot of humanity to wake up inside of us in a way where we're not doing as much finger pointing as we're used to. We're not waving our fists at the skies and the gods so much anymore warring has gone way down, even though we're still dealing with these atrocious things right now. Um, but in general, we're less and less seeing people who are different than us as enemies. And we might still be screaming at the TV, but for most, for the first time in history, at least the history that I'm aware of, we have enough external security to be now confronted with the pain that's passed down through our lineage of survival. But While it might seem like a burden or a form of psychosis sometimes, we can't deny that lots of times it's easier to medicate it away or distract it away with fun even. Um, We really do though have this honor of tending to this task. We have the honor of having the time to ponder life and scribble outside of the lines. And (laughs) who knows where we're gonna be as a species in the future because of this work. And I bring this up because of these two versions of myself that I'm aware of. The one who does this work so that my life will be better and the one who does this as an act of service. I like to think of myself as a creative rebel. And to be a creative rebel, like a real one, means that I have to filter out everything that isn't essential or beautiful. And that life is going to be more sauntering than directed. Despite what all the productivity bros are telling me on Instagram, right? This isn't about deep work and three hours of cold plunge or whatever. The more we allow love, the more chance appears to work in our favor. So this is how we can cut a new pathway that isn't a destructive force. It's by forgetting the future and simply being the conduit for creative insight. The truly insightful ones are the ones who embrace solitude without losing their worldliness. They're the unique ones, but they're integrated. They're profound, but they're accessible. They're you and me as we continue to dedicate ourselves to a meditative and contemplative practice while also having a good time doing it. Okay, cats want to get fed, so I think we're done here. 38 shadows to go. I think I'm going to do the next one on cults and new age fundamentalists. Fun word, right? Because that's really been coming up for me lately, and I think it'd be pretty interesting to see what's going on there. You can find me on Instagram at Jessica DePotsy underscore. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right, everybody, have fun, stay safe, but not too safe. And I will see you next time. Peace and have a happy new year.